Nostalgia Pod coming at you, giving you your weekly look what's going on in pop culture. Pat Sheehan here with my co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how you doing today, man? Hey, man. How's it going? We have some interesting things to discuss today. Mostly positive, like usual. But yesterday, man, man, we're going to get to it, but disappointed. Yeah. Before we, we get too far, if you're watching us... You're going to hear some takes on some rock music, which we know most of our fan base is rock-oriented. I don't know if that's true, actually. I feel like we get pretty good hits on most of our rock reviews, though. We're going to be talking Mad Lib, Twilight Zone, and then we got some movies yesterday, and we're going to be discussing the Spider-Man movie dropping on Tuesday. But before we do, uh, hit that subscribe button so you can listen to Dave talk about why he's disappointed this weekend, which I'm guessing has to do with the NBA. Oh, God. Not now. Not now. (laughs) So, where do you want to start today, Dave? What should we talk about? Let's get into this Black MIDI record. You uh, teased it last week, dropped two Fridays ago. Bit of a surprise thing for most people, but a good surprise, let's put it that way. Definitely a statement of intent from this new exciting group. Schlagenheim, like you said, dropped two Fridays ago. Band's debut album, a London band. It's interesting. So, they, like you said, it was a bit of a surprise, and I think the only people that really knew about them were people that probably follow KEXP on YouTube where they dropped like a six or seven song set back in January. And by that point, they only had um, BM, 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 mm-hmm. uh, which was one of the, the standout tracks from this album. And the rest of the songs were just untitled. And later, a couple of them would, would be on. Actually, I'm not sure if all of them were. If, I can't remember it. But a lot of them ended up on the album. But this is a relatively unknown band. If you watch that video, they, they're very young, um, and they all look very young. Also, not, not what I expected at all <laughs> to see, but this this was a really interesting album that I liked a lot. It's getting a lot of positive reviews. They're very strange, and I think that's fucking awesome about them. I guess you'd have to call them experimental rock, but they really infuse a lot of different sounds. I know that you're not the biggest rock fan. You, you do enjoy more upbeat rock music, though. Was Did Black Midi tickle your fancy? Definitely, yeah. It's Experimental is the perfect way to put it. I think it's really the only way to explain it. Um, despite the band name, it's not Black Midi music in the Japanese sense. Um, right. That is a cool reference. But yeah, it's just like really dense experimental rock that's also really noisy. Like they like that guy fucking like is trying to break his drums it sounds like at times like it shit, mm-hmm. shit's fucking wild and i think what stands out to me obviously being upbeat being loud but also being unlike every anything else i think is what stands out most and just like the weird like progressions they do throughout some of these songs just a lot of, there's a lot of cool moments like i i was really my ears peaked up right away especially with track two speedway it's just like it's like it's not something I expected to hear. Let's put it that way. Like you, you go in with the acclaim. Not, I didn't know, listen to BM, BM, BM before, so I really didn't know what to expect. And to be pleasantly surprised by a young new rock group in 2019 is pretty exciting. So definitely pleased me, which is definitely a hard, harder for most rock bands to do. But I mean, what stood out to you as a more seasoned contemporary rock guy? Well, yeah, you're certainly more of a, uh, I guess, a critiquer of rock than probably I am. I feel like I. I stand a lot more for these rock bands. Well, I guess the first thing that stood out, I mean, obviously the drumming, they they kick off the album with this awesome, like, just, they're just going buck wild in the beginning. And it really, like, 
captures your attention um and it does eventually kind of give way to this more i don't know a, a more traditional rock song by the end of 953 but like you said then it goes into speedway which is this like talking heads-esque song which if you listen to 953 and then that song you have no idea what direction this band is going and that's kind of it's kind of how the whole album goes that from song to song it's something different something pretty fascinating i also really really dig his name is jordy greeps uh, I really dig his vocals. He reminds me a little bit of Josh Kiska from Greta Van Fleet mixed with Alt-J's John Newman. Like, if you mix them together, I feel like yeah, that's kind of the voice that comes out. And it's it's like this high-pitched but also kind of, like, weird, froggy-type voice. It, mm-hmm. it really works for them, though, and it, like, helps their strange vibe really come through. You know, we mentioned BMBM like that like you go back to that experimental sound they it literally has like women like screaming in the background with these like really obscure weird lyrics to it um she moves on a purpose you know it's just like <laughs> so strange but it, it's like almost enchanting there's nothing really like it doesn't feel like there's anything super special about bm 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 but it still is like really fascinating yeah i agree 953 speedway BM, 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 those are the three tracks that I like the most, but very few uh, down moments. You know, I, th- I thought the the whole sequence really breezed for me. Um, I think that speaks to how upbeat it is and also how much it changes. So, yeah. exciting stuff. Yeah, I agree. Uh, um, we're going to talk about Black Keys here in a second, but it's really f- interesting to listen to these two records back-to-back, which I did the other day, because the lyrics on this album are very obscure, in most of, the, most of them except for probably near DTMI, uh, which I think stands for Detroit, Michigan, uh, speaking about like the water crisis in Flint. But the rest of them are pretty obscure. I mean, I think one talks about like a pink caterpillar with like six children or something like that, and like it's strange, but... I think the thing that makes them a really exciting band is I think back to what we talked about with Spoon a lot uh, when we reviewed them last year and what what really stands out about Spoon makes them such a great band is they're so tight and like at this point like they play together they can go off on little solos and tangents and really pull it back and just be a tight band again with Black Midi, it feels like they're constantly on the verge of like exploding and almost like losing control, but they never seem to. And you talked about that drummer. Mm. His name is uh, Morgan Simpson, and he really like is the driving force behind this band. His energy just comes through in almost any video you watch of them. So I, I think if, if you want to be like tuned into a really exciting up and coming rock band that seems to have just like exponential potential right now, you got to get on Black Midi. And I think there'll probably be some cool moments to talk about them uh, in the future. So. Really exciting stuff. We already added Speedway to our Nostalgia Best of 2019 playlist, so uh, definitely go check that out and give that a follow. And I already mentioned the Black Keys. The reason I thought it was interesting to li- to compare their lyrics because I feel like the Black Keys lyrics um, for a band that is so refined, you know, similar to Spoon. The one knock I have on them is that these Black Keys lyrics on Let's Rock, their ninth album, are pretty blah like there's really not much substance to them i feel like i, I don't know did you get that vibe listening to it I have many holes in the black keys discography the, the, <laughs> the surprise of no one but yeah. i've always kind of associated their music with just being very uh, like to the point very simple in the sense that it's really just the two of them making the music and playing there's no like background production there's very rarely anyone else playing any other instruments with them uh, mm-hmm. especially on this album so the fact that the lyrics also are just kind of A to Z type stuff. I don't know. I feel like it fits what they go for. Do you, is, do you feel like it's that's always been a problem for them, or has it just kind of been 
like steady for them? Like, do you did you hold up their past albums? You know, it, that, that that's interesting. I I do feel like like they tried a little bit more things like I don't know, uh, Magic Potion, Black Submarines. Um, I don't know, just just th- these albums. Even like as recently as Brothers, which is probably the one most people know. You know, it has Tighten Up, Howlin' for You, Next Girl, which are all probably three of their biggest top five hits i feel like there was a lot more like imagery uh turn of word that this one just came across in particular as a little bit more straightforward but i feel like like you said where they're kind of a simple band in the sense that they do thrive off just drums and guitar but they also i mean they had some flourishes in here some like some little additions which i think left people with a bit of a i mean i guess like real black keys fans with a bit of a uh, clamoring for uh, an older sound in a way because they when they came up back in what was that early 2000s with quite early the big come up was their first one but like thick freakness and rubber factory were probably the first two that caught any kind of traction they were just like a garage band like they were just this group that was making pretty simple rock music that seemed kind of lo-fi and had this real bite to it and now they're incredibly polished like i said and i think it it leaves some of their older fans feeling a little bit like uh, we, we wish we had the old Black Keys back, as Kanye might say. And they do reference a little bit the fact that they were on hiatus the past five years, just I think you know, just taking a break basically from being rockers for ten years. Understandable, but they actually kind of reference like the apparently fake uh, stories about the friction between the two of them that had come up in the hiatus, and you know, telling little uh, uh, fake fake anecdotes. Uh, to mm-hmm. make lampoon that, which I think is is kind of cool. I'm sure like the hardcore fans really can laugh and appreciate that kind of stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, apart from those flourishes, the chords are pretty simple, right? Like I I feel like this is not like like this certainly isn't black made. This is kind of just like good blues rock, good garage rock, right? Yeah. But because it's existing now, it's still hard as shit because that's just mm-hmm. the 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 rock landscape. And like, as far as a comeback record, as far as a ninth album for a post-punk revival band that blew up in the early 2000s, I think it sounds pretty good. So I liked it a lot. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I think the thing I would say about this album is it's very catchy. And for rock music to come across and be ear-catching, I don't want to say it's necessarily pop rock, because I I think there's a lot more to it than that. It's very much like 60s, 70s classic rock in style. I I saw a lot of people comparing it to ZZ Top, which I think feels Mm -hmm. correct. I really enjoyed the moments, though, where they like added um, like female backing vocals or even a song like Breakdown that begins with uh, like an electric sitar in the beginning. It really adds like a whole new element where it does feel like they're experimenting and trying to do more than just stick to that classic formula, which they, they do really well. I mean, shine a light and get yourself together. were probably two of my favorite songs and, uh, they both are just these awesome guitar driven ballads. Like it's, it's a simple formula that works, but I, I do like when they go outside the box a little bit. Why doesn't Dan Auerbach get more love? I, I feel like he's a pretty established rock artist. He's had a Decent solo career, another good showing with the Arcs and the Black Keys. Obviously, are you know they they headline a lot of tours. But I feel like he's relatively unknown still. Yeah, I mean they won a lot of Grammys. I feel like almost all of their albums got Best Rock Album nominated too. Um, he's the one who's married to Michelle Branch, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. He, he's yeah. certainly not like held up as like a like a Dave Grohl type. You're right. 
Yeah. You know, it's funny. They feuded with Jack White a couple of years ago. And I think there's still a bit of like a underlying feud where Jack White feels like they rip, ripped off a lot of his sound, which uh, Jack White is so pretentious. <laughs> but I don't know, man. It, it it feels like he should get more respect. He's he's had three different successful types of of rock adventures so far in his career, and really, I feel like unless you're kind of tuned into the rock scene, like I I think people know who Jack White is. But I don't think people know who Dan Auerbeck is unless you are really tuned into one of his bands. So, yeah, I don't know. I just was thinking about that the other day. Any songs that stood out to you other than the ones we've already mentioned from this album? Yeah, I liked Go. That was the one where they make yeah. fun of the the friction stories. Yeah, Go is a good one. I, I didn't really have any tracks on here. I really didn't. I disliked. So yeah. I think if you want to give this a listen, it's it's a fun what like forty minutes or so, thirty eight minutes. Tell me about Madlib and Freddie Gibbs. You you said you wanted to cover this album. You told me to listen to 2014's Pinata. I did, loved it. Listened to Bandana, liked it not not as much, but I liked it a lot. Ooh, tell me about this grouping and just kind of like how they came together. It's kind of interesting, just because Madlib, the producer, and Freddie Gibbs, the rapper, are just the latest duo that Madlib has been a part of, like, like a super duo, right? Like he has, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, most famously Mad Villain with MF Doom, Mad Villainy, a classic album from like the early 2000s from doom and mad lib and then also j lib with j dilla and liberation with talib Kweli, and now we have mad gibbs and you know they started out with a bunch of eps was really just a bunch of loose songs a bunch of them ended up on pinata and then pinata comes out and it's kind of the, this landmark moment for freddie gibbs as a rapper he's someone who's been independent since like 07 i want to say and has been grinding uh, quite a while has been pretty well liked as far as underground rappers go but pinata just the union of gibbs's gruffness his matter of factness with the incredibly unique you can't match it production that madlib has been doing for 20 years and it's just really exciting stuff and then they hear uh them come back five years later take, taking their time and actually getting a bit of major label distribution for this new record, Bandana, it felt like they were, you know, really happy to work together again because I think this is the first time they actually worked in the studio. The last time they just kind of worked, you know, through email like a lot of people in the industry do. So, yeah, very interesting just because I mean, it, it feels like the natural arc for, for Madlib. It's just like the latest stop for him on his, you know, crazy career. But for Gibbs, this is truly like a coming out party and, uh, I think kind of just cementing him his status as like one of the most underrated, underappreciated rappers we have. But yeah, it's uh, it's just exciting music for sure. I mean, so what did you like so much about uh, Pinata? Listening to Pinata, I guess I went in thinking, knowing a little bit about Freddie Gibbs, not as much about Madlib. I was expecting it to be a little bit more like hard rap, trappy. And it really has this like soulful vibe where Madlib really uses a lot of um, soul samples, you know, guitars, yeah. uh, choruses, and it really makes it this like really funky, living, groovy album to listen to. And Gibbs just kind of flows over it. And I think, I think, boy, that that's his claim to fame, right? That he can he can rap over any beat. Like he doesn't, mm-hmm. he, he's pretty flexible, is what he, what he kind of builds himself as. And I think he does that pretty well. I don't think all of it was was perfect, but you know, I, I texted you. Um, I was listening to Robes, and the end of that, I, I, I don't know, I, I didn't really care for like the last minute or and a half of speaking, but right. 
when, when ropes is going <laughs> like er, earl swesher domo genesis and and gibbs all really flowed over that perfectly and then it goes right into broken with scarface which i also really liked and yeah. that's i was digging the whole album up to that point so it's like man like <laughs> the, the whole thing just flowed and i was really floored it I, is Mad Lib always like this soulful in terms of, or is he more like, does he have a different style depending on who he's working with? Definitely different depending on who he works with. But yeah, he's very like a, he's like a throwback gotcha. producer. The samples, as you recognized, a lot of layered production. Yeah. I think it depends when you're listening to him, like Mad Villainy. There's some Hall of Fame beats on that album and they don't sound anything like what you listen to from Pinata or Bandana, that's for sure. But that just kind of speaks to Mad Lib. He can do so much stuff. He's kind of like a Kanye in that regard, very throwback producer, can try anything and pull off a lot of stuff. Did you did you like Pinata as much as I did? Oh yeah, I think Pinata fucking rules. The features are so choice too, like they're they're, they're kind of sprinkled in. But you reference Earl and Damo and Danny Brown's on there, Absol Mac Miller on there, Scarface. It's great, and yeah. you know Gibbs is a guy who I hadn't really. I mean, I had known about him forever just because he's a name you always would see in the blogs and stuff, but he was just one of those artists who I never really made a conscious effort to dive into and learn about because he had a big back catalog, and I was just, like, you know, just ignoring it. Mm-hmm. And then I think when he – I think he had, he, had a, he had a brief stop in jail, and then when he came back with Pinata as well as those two solo albums, uh, uh, Shadow of a Doubt and then You Only Live uh, Twice – in 2016-17. I think those albums, uh, when I saw those, I kind of went back, listened to Pinata for the first time, and like you really kind of just figure it out. And last year, he had two uh, mixtapes, one just called Freddy, uh, which I loved, and then uh, another one with Currency and Alchemist called Fetty. And those are great. We didn't even cover them on the pod, fortunately. I got to them a little late, but and you kind of realize, like, oh, this guy's is like, like consistently great. Mm-hmm. And even if sometimes maybe that, the, the project's have a little filler at times. It's like Freddie Gibbs filler is still kind of a high bar. So uh, I was definitely anticipating Bandana, especially once they uh, kind of just started releasing those singles. I think Flat Tummy T was the first one, and then uh, Crime Pays, and then Giannis with Anderson Pack. And then again, just, it just feels like a big flex that you get Anderson Pack to do a feature. And it's like, oh, this sounds like old school, like peak Anderson. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like any, any disappointment over Ventura is totally gone when you hear this Anderson feature. Yep. So I had a lot of hype going in. That's for sure. And did uh, Bandana live up to your potential or what you were expecting? Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I think, I think it did. You know, I, I, I think Pinata is better. Pinata also was just felt much more fresh and out yeah. of left field and unexpected. So they're operating in obviously different, different worlds, mm-hmm. but having all that hype, from the hardcore fans, as well as new people that are going to come to this because the major label push is going to just get it into more ears. Uh, I still think it really uh, delivers what you want from these two. Again, the unique, hard-to-describe layered production from Mad Lib, as well as just incredibly introspective, uh, matter-of-fact bars from Gibbs. And mm-hmm. again, the, the, thing, the features are still quite choice at Anderson, but... Even like a song that I didn't even like, I didn't even love the features from Killer Mike or Pusha T, but mm-hmm. still really exciting to hear them on a yeah. song with Gibbs. And then at the end, you have uh, Yasin Bay and Black Thought, obviously Most Def and Black Thought. That's uh, again just kind of exciting voices to hear. So I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I, I thought Black Thought's feature was probably my favorite on all this. I felt like he really kind of 
got the vibe of of the album a little bit more than something like Palm Olive, where like Killer Mike and Pusha T mm-hmm. seemed, I think, a bit yeah. out of place. A- Anderson Pac is like such a fucking chameleon, and I think this is you know Mad Lib and him could make an album together seamlessly, and it would sound oh. great. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would love that team up, but uh, yeah, I, I just. I, I really like this album. Like, if I was ranking them or, like, giving them scores, it would be, like, uh, you know, Pinata is something like a 85 and, like, Bandana is, like, an 82. Like, they're they're close for me. It's not like they're far off. But I, I do agree that it's not as fresh. Um, and I didn't really hear them trying a lot of new, you know, a lot of different things on here that, than they did on Pinata, which I think, uh, you know, you knock them a little bit for, but... Still, this is high quality shit. Like, <laughs> if you if yeah. you appreciate rap music or even just like music in general, like you gotta be you gotta be checking this out because there's it's really really good and the production, Madlib. I, I I'm surprised I wasn't more aware of him. He's so good. Like his his beats are crazy. It's, I don't want to spin wheels, but it's just it, it's top tier stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't think it's my favorite rap album of the year, but it's certainly one of the best. Yeah, it's kind of hard to argue against that. Absolutely. What song stood out to you most? Uh, I like Giannis a lot, and I like that even without the Andy feature. Uh, I like Crime Pays. I like Education. Uh, I liked uh, Goddamn a lot. Mm. I like the uh, kind of political-ish lyrics, diving yep. into that that world a little bit on that one. Um, yeah. Uh, I like most of the songs, put that way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Goddamn and Crime Pays. I also really like Cataracts, which comes near the end of the album. I thought that was a pretty good track. Um, we I already added uh, Crime Pays to our Nostalgia Best of 2019. Again, give that a follow and listen on Spotify. That wraps up for music this week, and time to talk some TV, which we've been a little slow to get to. Months we, late. Yeah, we, we talked about the first two episodes when they first dropped back in April? april <laughs> yeah wow and you know we were like we'll, we'll talk about the twilight zone as it as it comes about well you know as the episodes come out we think they're worth talking about it's gonna be a show everybody's gonna want to see and i don't think i've seen anybody else really talking about this show and i think that that's probably where the majority of the conversation will gravitate towards but because i feel like this could be an overly negative review i wanted to start with what were some things you liked about the Twilight Zone? Yeah, I like. Uh, we talked about this a little bit on the yeah, review of the the first salvo of episodes, but I like that this is clearly existing. This is also a negative. We'll talk about the negative part, but it's clearly existing in like the 2019 space as far as the Twilight Zone goes, right? So the observations on society are thus uh, updated for today. Yep, and I think when this anthology show shined the best in this first season was when it was trying to craft stories around episodes that actually felt like of the moment the uh the third episode replay as well as the seventh episode not all men um mm-hmm. maybe they weren't the subtlest displays um but i like that that's where they they try to take it and there's actually like uh at least trying to actually provoke some thought even if the conceit might be easy to grasp and maybe the episode lengths are are too padded out you know Mm -hmm. Uh, so i like that i think when there are good episodes of of this season i think it's just overall it uh was not as frequent as everyone expected yeah i 
I think that that's a, a a good way of putting it. I think what I liked about this is the Twilight Zone is obviously an iconic television show, and th- this version is a little bit different. It's a little bit longer than I think most of them were back then, or I feel like a lot of them fell into like the thirty minute, maybe even only forty minutes, and this yep. was a little bit longer. Twenty minutes sometimes, but it did try to add a fresh take onto a lot of these things, and I feel like where. I feel like where the show was most successful for me and most engaging for me is when it kind of leaned into the weirdness. And, you know, you you mentioned how an episode like Not All Men, which is a pretty interesting critique on societal issues and and real things people deal with. I think I liked more something like The Traveler with Stephen Yun um, for just how strange it was and how it didn't really try to explain anything and it was just was like this mind fuck the whole time mm-hmm. and i think when they did that it, it did pretty well there was uh you know like six six degrees of freedom the episode with a bunch of really famous people but like jessica one. williams was in that one i th- i really liked that because it felt like a a very like confined very it, it was a big story but within a small setting which i thought yes. really worked well mm-hmm. i feel like when they try to do big things is when it really just didn't land something like like replay which you know kind of a small story but within this bigger scope of racial violence and uh, racism in society and um i felt like that was a bit on the nose at the end and didn't necessarily have the impact it could have so i I feel like that's kind of my biggest critique and why i think there were some really good episodes and some that just felt totally flat yeah honestly and i think a negative for a lot of the episodes was just that the audience just kind of gets the conceit or figures out the logical conclusion gets the point much sooner than the episode does. Mm-hmm. And thus you're kind of just twiddling your thumbs waiting for the resolution to happen that you already know. And yeah. that's kind of why a traveler is such a great episode because like you said, there really isn't anything to figure out. It's just some weird shit. Mm-hmm. And Steven Young's awesome. And yeah. You just have to sit there and watch it. You know, yep. you're not trying to figure anything out. Uh, well, you are, but it doesn't actually matter, you know? Right. So, you know, like we talked about this, but the first episode, the comedian kind of just repeats itself the for like a middle, like 10, 15 minutes almost. And like, you are, we already get it. Like we already got the, the premise and we understood where this was going. Let's get to that, where it was actually going, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's other episodes like uh, The Wonderkind, you know, John Cho and Jacob Tremblay. Which definitely has uh, shades of the Waldo moment yep. from uh, Black Mirror, obviously. But it's just something that's like so absurd and outlandish that even if you are willing to accept it, it basically is going exactly where it was always going to go. Like there's really no shock in it. Yep. I think a lot of times when you do finally get to that resolution, you don't really feel anything. Mm-hmm. Or like there's no aha moment. Because, like, a lot of those twists, if they're even worth the twist, like, you, you got it already, you know? Yeah. And, like, like, not all men. Like, I, 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 I like the swing, but mm-hmm. obviously it's not subtle, and, like, it just kind of resolves itself. There's nothing really to uh, take away. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's disappointing. It's, as you're saying that, it's kind of funny, because we, we started off saying how this was longer than the original Twilight Zone episodes, and it feels like it, they almost could have benefited from these being shorter. And yeah. I know that they, 
you know, they're in a bit of a, or this genre, I guess, is becoming more and more crowded. Black Mirror, obviously, is at the top of that, but Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams on Amazon uh, got mm-hmm. some attention earlier in, in the year. Um, similar type of concept. Year. It was last year, geez. Yeah. Uh, 2018. So it, they're obviously trying to go up against competition and make a, a similar product, but I, I feel like if they leaned into the half-hour, 25-minute episodes, that could actually really benefit them because like we talk about with almost anything nowadays, less can be more. What did you think of Jordan Peele's like usage through this? And, you know, he was kind of the big, or at least like the spokesman. He's in the mm-hmm. the narrator role for a lot of it. And then he really only gets shine in that last episode or, or more to do in that last episode, I guess. Yeah. I liked how they used him in Blurry Man the last episode. Really cool. Just a meta episode, Twilight Zone episode about people making the Twilight Zone. That was cool. That was well done. Um, but yeah, overall... It is interesting because he is he was marketed as like the the creative mastermind, and yet he was obviously just the EP and mm-hmm. narrator, Rod Sterling role. But obviously, he didn't want to direct or really do any of the writing. That's he, he could have done that. They would. It's not they turned him away. He just didn't want to do it. But you kind of just wish his like his genius, as it were, following Get Out and Us. You just kind of wish it was more present in the show. It just kind of feels like. Him and Monkey Paw just kind of co-signed this, and he has a small, small stake in it, you know. Um, yeah, you 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 wish creatively he had more of an influence. That's yeah, for sure. That's how I felt too. Also, being on CBS All Access obviously hurt this as well. Not a lot of people I can imagine are subscribing, and if they were, probably like you and I were subscribing just for the series. Yeah, CBS All Access is very interesting. We haven't really talked about any. We haven't talked about any other shows on it. There's only a handful of new ones, really, but. So far, I mean, their big shows are Star Trek Discovery, they're getting a second Picard show, The Good Fight, and now this, Twilight Zone. These are Those are three shows that all have existing fandoms and an existing audience, and I guess that was, that so far has been their plan, is to like target existing audiences and hope they'll pay to mm-hmm. access your thing, your new thing. Um, but yeah, I think... Maybe too if the, if the episodes were stronger because remember I think comedian was was free on YouTube they put out two of them right away maybe if they were stronger episodes and they caught more of a buzz or deserve more critical adoration it keeps going but I mean you'll notice none of the critics really checked back in on the show they did their initial reviews after the first batch they get which I believe is the first four and very few sites uh, revisited that and. I think that was both because the show didn't really feel special at the end of the day and also because they probably didn't get enough traffic to, uh, yeah. you know, make it worthwhile. So uh, it was renewed for a season two, though, quite uh, quickly. So I'll certainly give it another chance, especially if the buzz is strong. But, yeah, it just kind of feels like something that came and went. I think I think coming out in April uh, didn't help considering Thrones was on the time. Mm-hmm. It certainly was not... a. Uh, and then even Black Mirror being on the horizon yep. doesn't help. You know, I mean, Black Mirror is influenced from the original Twilight Zone, obviously, and now we have this new Twilight Zone existing in a post-Black Mirror world. You know, you gotta you gotta stand out, and ultimately, the show just didn't didn't really feel special enough in the wealth of content you have to choose from. Yeah, which is really too bad because they had a lot of talent. I mean, just that last episode alone, you talk about Seth Rogen. Um, Zazie Beats and Jordan Peele all in it. Um, I mean, 
Jessica Williams, like Baron Holtz, and I mean that uh, not yeah. all men episode had a lot of really famous people in it. Sure. Seahorn, Mal, Adam Scott, yep. Stephen Young, Greg Kinnear. There's a lot, a lot of yeah great actors on the show for sure. I thought Greg uh, that that episode with Stephen Young, um, the Traveler, I thought was just so good. that that's the one that that highlights for me. Greg Kinnear, I thought was so good in that role, just playing yeah. like that doofy local chief lieutenant so, or yeah chief yeah um yeah so that definitely definitely some good to take away but mostly just disappointing um one of the few shows i this year i feel like we've really been kind of let down by i guess other than thrones which i mean take that or, or leave that as a disappointment if you want it's still amazing television but can't be can't say the same for twilight zone moving on to movies yesterday um a movie that was supposed to come out last uh, October, October 2018, got pushed back to June, uh, June release. Mm-hmm. Danny Boyle at the helm. Uh, you'll know him from Train Spotting, Train Spotting 2, Slumdog Millionaire, 20 Days Later, 127 Hours. He almost did Bond 25. Almost. Uh, <laughs> who's doing that now? I forgot. Carrie Fukunawa. Yeah, that's right. It's been a rough shoot so far from what we know. <laughs> what, what it sounds like. Anyways, also this was written by Richard Curtis, who yep. has been you know romantic comedy writer, probably most famously for Notting Hill, among others. Sitting at a paltry sixty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and only grossed twenty four million worldwide box office. Which, I mean, I guess for the box office this summer, that's you know could have been worse. <laughs> so I mean, here's here's the thing with the box office, real quick: seventeen million domestic for a cheap movie. Is actually not that bad in this marketplace. That's much more than Late Night or Booksmart made in their mm-hmm. first weekends. Pretty crazy. And, and those are better movies. You know? yeah. So I think honestly, it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a win for uh, was it Paramount? Whoever, yeah, whoever, whoever put it out. Um, just because the cinema score was strong, this probably will have decent legs, and it was only like a twenty six million dollar budget. So this movie actually will probably be a decent win for the studio. But unfortunately, it, it's uh, not actually that earned. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think 60% is kind of right around where I would rate this movie. It's it's disappointing in the sense that the concept is, I mean, it's a slam dunk. It's If you do an elevator pitch for this movie, yeah. it, you're like, holy shit. Like, yes. The highest of high concepts. But then to boil it down to basically like a romantic comedy, felt so disappointing in terms of what they could have done and what it was. You know, I really just left the theater being like, the Beatles are good. <laughs> Beatles are very impressive as a band. The fact that they wrote and composed all these songs together and you know like at least like 50, 60 Beatles songs, even if you're just like a regular person, pretty pretty insane. That was my main takeaway. What about you? <laughs> yeah. Similar to Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocketman, it is a movie that makes you want to listen to the back catalog. Mm-hmm. And yesterday licensed like damn near twenty Beatles songs. That certainly wasn't cheap. Yep. And the best moments of the movie is when you're hearing those songs, usually not the from the vocals of Himesh Patel, who I did like in this movie. But yeah, just that concept, which is the whole central conceit of the trailer. The trailer doesn't really let on that it's more rom commy. It really just kind of focuses on the story and like they even tease the like the whole like he'll get exposed later on right like they all tease that in the trailers but it just feels like curtis whoever did another pass on the, on the script they just they didn't know where to take it 
You know, they just kind of threw their hands up and said, actually, let's just pivot on this. And they don't really do any exploration of the concept, despite the fact that anyone can think of so many interesting things you'd want to know or you want to see the story explore, at least not at. It just doesn't make any effort to do that. It ultimately is just a very conventional story that happens to have this high concept. What if people forgot what the Beatles thing paste it on top so yeah i was just disappointed in the structure of the movie because like it's not bad at all i think the movie's fine mm-hmm. but it's just really disappointing because you can just really easily think of a, a better path for the plot so right the the story could have very easily been exploring the impact the beatles have on society currently how things would have changed if they hadn't existed or people couldn't remember yeah. their music and what it became was a vehicle to express despair uh, with, by being wrapped up in a system of of greed and uh, to look at what it means to not be truthful. And it's highlighted by a meeting that Jack, uh, played by Himesh Patel, uh, has with John Lennon, who <laughs> lives in this universe, which I felt was... Never got killed. That is interesting. They don't go there, though. Right. Exactly. It's... There's no examination of what it means that he didn't live. You know, they just basically talk about, they use him as a vehicle for Himesh, you know, for Jack to realize, oh, I need to be truthful and I need to go after Lily James, Ellie. Yes. Just so much potential in all these moments that they just didn't want to explore because I think it probably felt too overwhelming to the story that they decidedly decided to tell. Right. And I mean, you mentioned it, like, what if the Beatles were received differently? They tease this twice when he sings yesterday and like that's when jack (laughs) learns what's going on and they're all like you know they're impressed but then he's like this is one of the greatest songs ever i mean that was good mate but it's not coldplay it's not it's not fix you you. (laughs) (laughs) and then it happens again when he's playing let it be for his parents and like they just keep interrupting him and aren't giving him a chance and i was like that would that would have been cool like what if what, what what if we took it that way but no like Mm-hmm. He puts out all the Beatles songs, mainly Paul songs, mm-hmm. in a scattershot order, of course. And then he goes and sees Lennon. Yep. Not the songs he, he remembered, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever. But, I mean, there were a few other things, too. Like, we can talk about Ed Sheeran. I actually quite liked Ed Sheeran in this. But Boo. the whole scene with his label, with all the clapping and, like, the label exec being really money money hungry, but just... It was an obviously lampooning of the major label system and how it affects pop music, mm-hmm. but it just had it, or at least for me, that like they thought they were being like really clever and like, huh, see how the labels always fuck over the artists, but like it wasn't subtle at all, and that was extended by Kate McKinnon's character as his like his agent or yep. label representative, who is just like openly talking about how greedy and power hungry she is and how she'll take control of his masters and make most of the money like it just didn't it just felt like it was almost from a different movie like this this weird commentary on labels meanwhile you're not actually exploring any other of these more interesting thoughts i don't know it just uh, bit of a frankenstein movie yeah and you know, you have you have some really talented people in this. Uh, Lily James, I thought, was pretty good. You know, you yeah. remember her from Baby Driver. Uh, she she was also in Hobbs and Shaw. No, is she in that? She's no. in Darkest Hour. She's in the Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia, that was the other one. 
really really charismatic actress, but she has very little to do in this, fortunately. You have Kate McKinnon in this too, whose yep. character is basically an eighties caricature of a villain. <laughs> you yes. know, it's hard to really even describe how outlandish she is and just how like vile of a person they make her out to be and just totally unrealistic which i mean you're you suspend belief for a movie like this anyway because the guy wakes up and the beatles and coca-cola and cigarettes don't exist in this world i mean as well as oasis which is a a pretty funny moment and also i mean i have a lot of things to nitpick but one nitpick i just want to say while it's on my mind he goes he plays this this thing at the end to win lily james back right and the the song that made her fall in love with him is wonderwall which he could totally just have played Wonderwall there at the end, and that could have been like a, a interesting like callback to like win her back and whatever like hmm. jar this memory. And he just doesn't. He doesn't play any songs. He's just like yeah, I love you. And these are the four people that actually wrote these songs. And here's a mixtape. And Ringo Starr's name isn't actually Ringo Starr, so he doesn't even give the real person credit, which is very interesting. You know, it's just a stage name. So this this person in this universe would be like. I don't, no one knows who the fuck Ringo Starr is, but Paul McCartney and John Lennon and George Harrison are real people. Just very, I guess it's befitting the Beatles lore anyway. Yeah, is, to go back to some of the, the nitpicks, you said Ed Sheeran, you really liked him. What did you like about his performance? It just felt like it was a very self-aware bit of acting from Ed. Like, he's kind of just making fun of himself. And, like, when uh, What's-His-Name was like, he, he's like, oh, listen to the album, man. And Ned's like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, didn't like the rapping. Think you should uh, leave that to the brothers. I was like, that was hilarious. Like, yeah. the fact that Ed would let that line be spoke to him, it's just quite self-aware. And I think he always kind of comes across that way. I think of the, the Thrones cameo. Was this I actually positioning like, I, I, like, him you, as... Using him, oh, using Sheeran as, like, the deus ex machina to jumpstart Jack's career, I thought I liked it. I just thought it was, it was kind of entertaining, even if the whole... Let's write a song in five minutes. Battle didn't didn't seem didn't seem likely. Also, nor did um him playing like a five hundred person room in Russia. Like <laughs> he was already at peak Ed Sheeran. We know that songs like Shape of You are out. So this is like he's selling out Wimbledon, right? Billions of streams, guy. He sells out arenas everywhere, not just in the states, not just in England. But so. Moscow, he's playing what House of Blues? Yeah. House of Blues, Moscow. No <laughs> fucking way. <laughs> oh man, so stupid. And you know, I mean, there, there's a lot with Ed Sheeran. I I didn't particularly like his performance. I also felt like this, in some way, is saying he's like the Beatles of today. Which, yeah, if that's the, I don't know about that part. But like, I liked when his dad was like, "Hey, you kind of look like Ed Sheeran." Yeah, I'm Ed Sheeran. Like, it's just kind of funny stuff. Yeah, Dave, if you were Ed Sheeran and you sold out Wembley Stadium and all your fans. Similar to Jackson, Maine in A Star is Born. All your fans are there to see you, and then you're like, oh, and here's this other person that's going to come out and do some songs for you. How do you think they, they'd react to that? I guess if it's this guy in this world, maybe, well? Hey, guys, uh, the noise ordinance, we can't change it, so I'm going to take 15 minutes away from you guys and give it to this dude. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess in, if you're saying this guy is the Beatles of, of that, that universe, that's kind of cool, but, man, just, yeah. this is such a strange move. It, well, we kind of mentioned like how the songs being received if they came out today, and like they, as we said, they don't they don't have any interest in going there. But it is kind of weird that that kind of music propelled him to superstardom, enigmatic, enigmatic uh, cult of personality. Like it just, mm. it just felt like we kind of skipped a bunch of steps. Yeah, because we are expected to believe it's this is happening today. 
So I think if you're like if you're a music fan, you get disappointed over that. And if you're just like a movie fan, you just kind of are disappointed in the sim- simplicity and the fact that they just ran away from the concept in the, the day. Like I was really bummed when the people that are kind of haunting him in the background and like noticing the Beatles songs, they're just happy that Jack is sharing the songs because they actually aren't musical people, so they couldn't have done it. And I was like, like it just felt like a, like a surrender. It's like, oh no, not a big deal, and kind of like a weird fake out. And you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, not a screenwriter. I'm not saying I, I know how to make this movie better, but it just felt like, at every possible chance to take it in a more interesting direction, they went down the middle instead. Yeah, although I, I was disappointed by them not confronting him and actually just being happy about what happened. Um, but exactly. it did, it did have the best line for me which is when they asked him why he named it hey dude they're like hey dude really and he's like stupid ed sheeran made me do it <laughs> i really thought that was funny I and mean, i guess yeah good, good on ed that he allowed that i didn't particularly love ed sheeran in this but the thing that he nor there really at this point um mm. L- lily james actually the thing about the hey dude moment what real real quick is like that's another little moment it's like ah, oh, we would tweak these songs for today hey right. dude nah hey dude like this little twist of like how the label would be involved, how the music industry would think today about those that music, you know. Mm-hmm. But it, it's you just get a taste; they just ignore it. Um, but yeah, I mean, what did you think of Lily James? Because she's always been a performer I've enjoyed. But did you did you like her in this movie? Given that she's just kind of there to fall in love with Jack and wait for Jack to realize the same. Yeah, I, I did like her a lot. Um, I thought every time she was on screen, I, I found her very um, entertaining. I thought. I thought she was better than Himesh Patel, who kind of had to have this wide-eyed, like, exasperation the whole time, which I think handcuffed him a little sure. bit. He never really got to, like, just be that star. He was always kind of like, I can't believe this is happening to me type thing. But with Lily James, I guess, like, my, my question is, why couldn't she go to L.A. with him? Because she has to teach these little kids in school, even though she told him, don't become a teacher. Like, she obviously doesn't think it's that great of a profession compared to music, so why not just go with him? Interesting. I would, I would, and I felt like that was just such a stereotypical rom-com trope. And again, another thing where they could have made it a lot more interesting if he told her about, you know, that he's remembering these songs that he didn't write. And then she had a conflict of wanting to be with him because of that. But instead it's like, oh no, I can't leave my life here. And, you know, teaching these fourth graders hmm. and you're, you're just a big shot LA person and you have to make a decision, either give up all your fame for me or, uh, you know, we can't right. be together. It's like, ah, this feels very tropey and very just stereotypical. Yeah. Once you get, once that whole Liverpool moment happens after he's doing the strawberry fields thing, it's just like, oh, here we go. Now I get the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much potential. Yeah. Like Danny Boyle too. It's like, he's, he's like, you know, one of the great directors still working. Like he, he has a great CV and I'm not even the biggest Slumdog Millionaire fan, but I mean, this just feels like such a such a step down you know mm-hmm. um i i'd really be curious to see how like like this i think this is a script that maybe went around a little bit uh, if i remember right but i'd be curious to see what other drafts where other drafts took it you know just because again the concept is really so dynamite yeah you know? they probably make a cool twilight zone episode no, oh. <laughs> maybe nice. maybe someday they will. Before we we go, I was I wanted to ask you because I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the podcast. Where, where are you at with the Beatles? Are you you a fan? Yeah, I know all the Beatles hits. I like the Beatles, good Beatles songs. I haven't really dove in on like 
Sergeant Peppers or the White Album or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I know, you know, like the the thirty songs everyone knows, like all those songs. Do you, you know? do you have a favorite Beatles song or album? Don't have a favorite album. Favorite song? Uh, good one. Good question. We like come together. Yeah. We like cool. help. Mm, uh, early stuff. And then like you know like Hey Jude yeah. obviously is fantastic. Yeah, Hey Jude. You know? I mean, undeniable. <laughs> that and like Yesterday are just like two of the best yeah. songs ever written. I really stand for like that that early to middles Beatles like Revolver and Rubber Soul. Um, probably in my life is my favorite Beatles song. Hmm. Um, but it really jumps around like. I have a I have a friend that every like couple months will just like ask her like where we're at with the Beatles like what what's our top five and I feel like every time there's like a two or three different ones in there along with some of the the ones I usually have so they're just so good and so diverse um, go watch yesterday ignore all the Ed Sheeran stuff on the soundtrack and then dive in from there if you haven't really dove into the Beatles be my recommendation so I guess that's it for yesterday moving on to Spider Man. Spider-Man Far From Home, coming, what, less than three months after Avengers Endgame? Two months and a week. Give me a temperature a temperature check at, uh, on where you were at in terms of needing another Marvel movie. In your yeah, man, that's the thing. Like, I was not excited for this at all, and that was despite the fact that I really enjoy Tom Holland as Peter Parker as Spider-Man. He's clearly the best Spider-Mans we've had, and they've done a lot of, I think, good things with building up him and Infinity War and Endgame and his relationship with Tony Stark, which obviously comes back in this movie quite a lot. So, I, you know, I thought they've, they've done a great, great job with him ever since they introduced him in Civil War. But just having another Marvel film so soon after Endgame that you know just can't feel nearly as important or essential as Endgame rightfully did, uh, it just, mm-hmm. it just, just felt a little, a little, little unnecessary. I guess kind of like Ant Man too last year after Infinity War just because their stakes are much lower in Far From Home and that is I think a good thing for the movie itself but because this movie can't escape the universe it's a part of it just just felt inessential to me and that was kind of my fear going in I still enjoyed it but mm-hmm. yeah I was not like like super jazzed about this one what about you going in I think everybody's seen that they've been that, that they re-released Avengers Endgame, trying to get that final push to get it past Avatar, and it hasn't gotten there. And I think a lot of people are feeling a little bit of superhero fatigue, especially because Endgame was such a climax to this what 10, 15 year buildup, and it's it's a it's a little weird to be like uh, sitting down to watch Spider Man. You know, Peter Parker uh, go on a class trip and, you know, there's no other uh, superheroes in this, you know, especially because, uh, spoiler alert, we find out Mysterio is, that, is actually not a good guy, which if you know anything about exactly. Spider-Man, uh, it's pretty well known. Not a good guy. Yeah, it, I, I found this film to be quite enjoyable in the second half. I found the first half of it. Mm-hmm. I was kind of sitting there like, oh, I don't know if I needed this. Don't know if I needed this. Yeah. It really picks up for me, I think, right after the twist, um, which, again, not much of a twist. But the way that the movie shot, you feel like Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio is uh, going to be the next Avenger, the next uh, Tony Stark, so to speak. And turns out he's not, but then that's when things get good, because it the movie becomes kind of like super weird after that. You know, there's that, that scene where... 
Mysterio finds out that Peter figured out what's going on, and then he just starts doing all the like different holograms and imagery, and it's kind of like an like a bad acid trip in a way. And I feel like that's when the movie starts to really hit his stride. Very scarecrow esque. Um, Shout out Batman Begins, you know. Yeah. Great call. You you said you agree with me that the first part of the movie was a little bit slow. Tell me more about that. Like, what did you feel like you didn't like or didn't work for you? I think the movie, like, as like a a, a teen comedy movie about teenage ca- characters and like going through the ups and downs of having a romantic life at that age. I think that that's that's actually done well, and it's nice that the that the Peter Parker story we're getting now is framed that way, but it just kind of felt like we were just kind of going through the motions, you know? And I think a big part of this is like, I really like Zendaya and she's great on euphoria, but her MJ stick through the beginning of far from home, as well as homecoming is just intentionally like more grating. She's like, not, not like like a personable uh, character at that time until she her she kind of changes a little bit when she figures out that Peter is Spider-Man later on in the film. And, I was kind of, I just kind of been finding her a tough hang, like, like, I don't know, just the momentum of conversations just kind of dies with, has been dying with her. And I'm sure most, plenty of people don't mind, don't mind that I liked how, how it's been going, but that was always an issue for me. But, you know, it's like, I like Peter. I like Nick. They're, they're good. They're fun. They have great, they have great chemistry. They're, they, they feel like genuine friends, but it just, it just felt very by the numbers. Let's just get going on this trip and up oh, here's some here's some threats and here's mysterio just n- nothing felt essential or special about any of the setup i think the only two pieces that felt essential and important were um all the imagery of tony stark that kind of hung over everything that felt pretty essential in terms of explaining the second thing that was important which was uh the peter tingle you know which i thought was a pretty funny running gag throughout but i i do think that spoke to the deeper uh impact that the consequences of endgame are having on the world at large but peter in particular who's obviously just totally not himself and um you know to be dealing with uh a world that's on two very different levels you know the very small story of this high school kid in Queens who just wants to tell the girl he likes that he likes her. And then there's obviously the larger stakes of the blip. And I actually thought that was explained really smartly um, and done really well with what's named Brendan Davis. Uh, I thought that was a pretty funny thing, how he was, you know, five years ago, he was just this little dweeb. And now he's like this, you know, big buff teenage teenager that all the girls think is hot. (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. So uh, I think there are some parts of the setup that were effective, but in terms of like Mysterio and uh, everything with that, I didn't really find that super engaging. You know, it's just these big like earth, you know, elemental type monsters that are coming out of nowhere and he's shooting these, this green stuff from his hands at them. And it was just kind of like, I don't know. It's something about that didn't totally work in terms of grabbing me. Yeah, I just would like to like ask some kids that like don't know Mysterio and be like, did you ever think he was good? Did you just know he'd be a bad guy right away? Just because you've watched enough movies, you figure that out. Like, I'd love to just pull some of the younger audience for this movie and be like, like, was this tracking for you guys? Did you guys like this? Because like, we liked Gyllenhaal in the role. I thought he did great, but 
mm-hmm. knowing he's a illusionist, a trickster of sorts, you, like it's it's really hard to believe anything you're seeing. So I feel like I mean the, the twist that does come must really land much better if you have no idea it's coming. And I guess that's just a yeah that's an unfortunate you know aspect of this knowing the source material in this case. This doesn't come up that often, I suppose, but. Yeah, you know, you're right. I like the how this kind of served as a end game afterward. You know, you get a lot of scenes, obviously with Peter, but also even Happy's uh, role in the story and continuing this Tony Stark uh, lineage. You know, I didn't expect that, um, but the way they set up Homecoming, Civil War, Homecoming, and the last two Avengers movies, Peter has been very integral and connected to Tony. So I guess it makes sense that they would try and put a bow on that um i don't know about you but it felt as soon as he gives the uh uh edith glasses enos whatever it was uh to quentin back edith yeah it's like oh well this is clearly clearly a bad idea like that was that was that was pretty contrived i guess <laughs> but yeah. yeah yeah it's just it, it takes a while to get going it definitely i definitely like the end much more yeah i the edith glasses i thought were now, in one part, very funny because uh, one, the name, even dead, I'm I'm the hero, very felt very Tony Stark in a lot of ways, and I liked that. Um, but also, I felt it was just like, oh, this is obviously this. I don't know, it, almost like a MacGuffin in a way. You know, it kind of like helps push the, the plot along, and it doesn't really have much more than, you know, it's gonna serve this purpose of obviously Mysterio's gonna get a hold of this at some point, and what's he gonna do with it? Um, I thought I liked a lot of the like traveling stuff and like seeing Venice and Prague and London. Um, but I also kind of found myself wishing he could just be Spider-Man for a while. Yeah. And I know that that was part of Peter's conflict, but kind of like, like the night monkey stuff and things like that. I was just kind of like, man, just like, you know, everybody knows that, Spider-Man has gone and fought with the Avengers at this point. Couldn't you just say, like, oh, he must just be the only Avenger available right now? And like, do you really think people are going to figure that out? I don't know. Yeah. Felt like a, a bit of a weird question or, or reason to not be. I was going to say, the planning of their, their their trip didn't make much sense to me. You're in Venice, like, a day. <laughs> like, that was before that was, shit was getting changed. Like, they're in Venice one day. You fly to Venice, and you leave the next day. What? Mm-hmm. Less than a full day in one foreign yeah. city? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> uh, although, I do have to say, um, J.B. Smoove, sure. I thought, was hilarious in this movie. And Martin Starr, yeah, got to play a bit more of like a goofier role for him, which, which? is nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I think we both liked the second half of the movie more. How did you feel about the interaction between Peter and Quentin Beck? Uh, when Peter gives him the Edith glasses and then the reveal that Mysterio is actually a bad, yeah, bad guy. Right. Well, kind of similar to Vulture in Homecoming. Quinn, once you understand, he he actually kind of comes across as a more grounded uh, villain with a discernible motivation. And I kind of like the connection that him and his cronies were all Stark employees that felt mm-hmm. discredited or uh, shafted by Tony in some way, which is totally believable given yeah. everything we know about Tony's uh, personality and behavior and whatnot. 
So I thought that was, you know, again, just mm-hmm. a smart construction, the same way Vulture was just someone who uh, his financial well-being was impacted by the invasion in Avengers 1. You know, it's just kind of, I think it's a strong underlying well to just continue to enrich the world and uh, just flesh out things that make plenty of sense once you actually think about them. Um, but yeah, once, you, once mm-hmm. that, that, that plan came into uh came into focus and you actually saw them testing the hologram illusion tech or whatever and seeing that in action you know like oh this is this is pretty cool and you know once he had the the glasses as well he did actually feel like quite a uh strong threat so it was just i think it was more fun once we kind of just focused on the real real meat of the conflict especially by that point we also have emma j getting in on the plan and mm-hmm. uh just felt like everyone kind of uh, progressed a little bit as a character by this this point. So, and even having like the detour in the Netherlands, I thought it was pretty amusing. And then, you, yeah. of course, you get the building the suit ACDC bit, which mm-hmm. is you know kind of a, a classic thing in Iron Man movies. So, I think honestly, the te- yeah. your, people's temperature with this will ultimately be like: Are you okay with it being less traditional Spider Man than perhaps someone would want? As you said, he's not really being. Spider-Man, in a certain sense, he's literally not even in Queens, the whole movie. Mm-hmm. So, is that okay? Again, I, th- I think that they do a good job. And at this point, I think like getting international kind of makes more sense. I kind of like that the scope is at least a little bigger than just the city because it just feels like we're past that with Spider-Man, considering he's been in space and died and mm-hmm. come back and all that. So, and then obviously the post-credit scene, I think, kind of ups the ante on that as well. So. Yeah, it's uh, yeah certainly. Once we know Mysterio's true colors officially, I think it just picks up a lot more, and obviously the visuals get a lot better with all the the illusion stuff. Yeah, absolutely. The illusions and just seeing uh, the height of Beck's powers really did make him feel really formidable. And I also felt like the like the final battle scenes, and also that, that scene I mentioned before, where Mysterio's kind of fucking with Peter, and they get hit by the train. I thought it was really, uh, really cool to watch, and just like the visuals of it were very interesting. Um, and I know people usually critique these movies for devolving into a bunch of people punching each other and just fighting, but I really felt like this was a, a really, really well done final battle scene, especially when you know Peter has to use a spider tingle at the end and go through that hallway to get to Mysterio. I just thought that was like one of the best fight scenes they've probably done. Um, really, really cool. You know, it, it kind of ends. He goes back to New York City and back to Queens. He's uh, open with MJ, and they're in a relationship. He's open about with her about being Spider Man at this point. He's you know swinging her around. Movie ends. Very happy. Then we get to the mid credit scene. You know, there's a, a video leak to the J Jonah Jameson uh, Daily Bugle <laughs> Daily Bugle.net, uh, uh, Alex Jones type spinoff. Yep. And there's a video of Mysterio saying Peter Parker, like, did all this, basically putting the blame for all people that died in these things on Spider Man and then revealing that Spider Man is Peter Parker. How did you feel about that mid credit scene? And kind of how it sets up the next Spider-Man movie. Yeah, I like how it ups the ante, getting his identity out there, at least attempting to paint him as a villain in the public eye. I mean, no one believes that will actually last, but good idea. Cool cool path to go down. 
And of course, it's great to see J.K. Simmons back. Everyone loved him as Jameson <laughs> in the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy last decade. And even though he's been Gordon in the DCU more recently, have him come back for this. Why not? It's pretty cool. Um, wouldn't be shocked if that was the last we see of him and he's not actually in the next Spider-Man film. But still still really cool nod, while also actually a bit of an effective post credit scene that actually teases the next Spider-Man movie and doesn't just tease or try and connect to something else in the larger MCU. So I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it really sets up the next movie and the stakes of it really well. Um, love J.K. Simmons. He's always fun to watch, especially when he gets to ham it up as J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's going to be interesting because I feel like, like this happens almost with every single superhero in a sense, but I feel like this happened in a lot of the other Spider-Man, Spider-Man movies where people are like, oh, is he a good guy or a bad guy? But this actually very clearly paints him as a bad guy, at least in the public eye. So that will be... Interesting through line. Um, we also get another post credit scene where it turns out that Nick Fury and I always forget her name. Agent Hill. Colby yeah, Agent Hill were actually uh, the, the the green guys and not the blue guys, the, the Kree. The scrolls. Um, you got it. The scrolls. <laughs> fuck. Um, the scrolls from. The shapeshifters. Uh, yeah, Captain Marvel. Uh, you know. Ben Mendelsohn and I forget who plays the girl and people were pretty excited about this reveal it's revealed that they're calling Nick Fury who's out in space somewhere uh working with the scrolls to um do something mm-hmm. some project that we don't know of yet how did you feel about that final post credit scene yeah it was really hyped up um as having like large scale implications for the MCU and it has to be that what they were talking about because the J. Jones Jameson stuff's very small, just integral to Spider Man. Like, like you can slow on that, but yeah, like we already know the scrolls were good, well intentioned people from Captain Marvel. A twist that's very mm-hmm. effective in Captain Marvel. The fact that they're still present in the story, Nick Fury's with them, like cool. Like that that that, that that's fine. Like they're in space. They'll come back in the fold for Captain Marvel 2 or Guardians 3 or the Eternals, who, whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, that that's cool, but this doesn't really tell you anything. So I, I didn't quite understand why everyone was so excited because it's not teasing Secret Wars. Yes, the, the scrolls were being actual people we knew on Earth, but they're good guys. So we're not getting, mm-hmm. sorry, Secret Invasion. We're not getting that. Yeah. So I, I didn't quite understand why everyone was super excited. I mean, it's just another cool thing to think about for a thread we at the earliest might get picked up a year from now in Eternals at the end of next year. So it was fine. Yeah. But I don't, I don't get it. The hype. Uh, I think what what is exciting more than anything is uh, it confirms the speculation everybody's had and that we all knew with the Eternals coming along is that this is going to be a story that's going to move intergalactically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that that's, I mean, we talked about it in our... Um, MCU Phase 4 expectations, which you can go back and watch that on our YouTube channel. Um, It's the right move. I mean, they got to make the story a little bigger. They got to take it to other places um, outside of Earth. Uh, And knowing Nick Fury's working on that, there's no doubt that he's going to pull the team back together uh, to do that. So that's that's exciting to have that confirmation. I I didn't find it 
exciting beyond uh or m much more exciting beyond the fact that it's always nice to see ben mendelson uh especially in this role you know he gets to be a little funnier a little more yeah. charming rather than menacing so that that's nice and I, I did find him funny in this small scene overall it seems like like we're we, we liked spider-man but maybe didn't love it is the sense that i'm getting from you over there yeah it just it doesn't feel as essential as other mcu entries and it as a film doesn't stand out for unique traits or filmmaking ideas the way like Ragnarok or Black Panther do. So it just it's it's ultimately not that special, but still another solid fun entry, especially if you this is one of the characters you really hone in on. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. You know, it's, it's interesting. We always expected this to be a new trilogy, considering how warmly received Tom Holland is and his original MCU contract, which again, remember, it's loaned from Sony. Sony still controls the film rights. They're just working with Marvel Studios for this, was six films. So that means he has one movie left. We assume that would be Spider-Man 3 with no uh, team-up movie on the immediate horizon. Um, we don't actually have a date for that. We don't actually have the movie confirmed. Um, they just did a quick two-year turnaround for Far From Home. So maybe we get this in 2021. They have... Uh, dates in february may and november of that year right now um dc's the batman comes out in june so maybe may is uh i think may is probably still enough time so maybe that's the window may 2021 we'll see um i wouldn't be opposed to them just again take your time let it let it come out when it's ready you don't have to rush this this uh you got plenty of other stuff and i think everyone's kind of expecting the villains to be some kind of sinister six uh introduction with vulture and scorpion still around from uh homecoming so and also they teased donald glover in homecoming he could become prowler who we obviously saw in spider-verse so mm -hmm. we'll we'll see about the future obviously we're gonna get tom holland again he's 23 and a big hit in the role so he'll be back yeah uh, i'm excited to see more spider-man they, they really have set him up to be the leader of these Avengers. So I'd be very surprised if this next movie is his last one. Yep. Um, moving forward. Uh, I wanted to do a quick Jake Gyllenhaal appreciation conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, he was, I found him fantastic as Quentin Beck, uh, you know, slash Mysterio for this film. Uh, he's really been seeming to have a moment recently. Yeah. You know, me and you uh, have been talking a lot about this video where, he was on this radio station and standing Sean Paul uh, pretty hard, <laughs> give which we you. found hilarious. Uh, <laughs> he's just, uh, it's really interesting to think about where he comes from. You know, he starts off, really breaks through with Donnie Darko, then does the same year does Bubble Boy, and you're kind of like, uh, all right, Bubble Boy, you know, got some attention, pretty funny. Um, not a movie that's probably held up very well, I'd imagine. Um <laughs> but then you know he has the the prince of persia um he does jarhead zodiac um brokeback mountain in that time i think he wins an academy award at least for the film winning best picture um it, he's had a pretty up and down career but more recently seems to be appreciated where where are you at with with your gyllenhaal uh vibes right well this is the first blockbuster he's been a part of since prince of persia which was 2010 it's been a while mm -hmm. Obviously, that movie was not well-received, uh, did not make a lot of money, and he kind of took that on the chin. 
Then he went mm-hmm. from there and he made a lot of, you know, more artsy movies, you know, Source Code, mm-hmm. Duncan like, Jones, End of Watch, David Ayer, a bunch of Denny Villeneuve roles, uh, mm-hmm. Nightcrawler, Night- Dan Gilroy, yes. you know, uh, just kind of picking his spots. He's in Okja. He's in Wildlife last year, movie mm-hmm. we talked about. Uh, Sisters Brothers, you know, he, he's just kind of been picking and kind of doing the Pattinson playbook before Rob started doing it. Just pick great directors who pick interesting weird roles that kind of are in the face of your natural star power. And meanwhile, throughout this whole time, he's been thrown around in all kinds of blockbuster casting, specifically superheroes. Like I know he was thrown around for, for Batman multiple times. And obviously they finally scooped him up for Mysterio, but it's actually a role that he's allowed to use his personality, use his, his acting chops. It's not like a, just like a suit villain, the way like Corey Stoll had to do in Ant-Man 1, you know, where even though he's a likable performer, he's not really given anything to do besides just kind of be obviously menacing, obviously bad. And I think the 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 twist, as it were, even though it wasn't surprising to most of us, uh, still kind of lends itself to uh, a fair amount of range from Joan Hall in this role. So, yeah, it's um, I think it's a really it was a really smart way to get back into the the super mainstream this way and um looking at his upcoming projects there's really nothing else of this scale but it just it definitely feels like he made a full comeback after kind of having some ups and downs uh in the mainstream consciousness so pretty exciting in that regard yeah i, I just want to say you overlooked velvet Buzz- buzzsaw when you're talking did about I? these artsy films he's been in uh, at least i didn't hear you mention it but maybe i missed it no i mean it. did i overlook uh, it was <laughs> oh <laughs> Uh, yeah, check, check out a review on that, but Morph. yeah, shout out to Gyllenhaal. It's, it's interesting that he started off his career with such acclaim and then had this big flop in Prince of Persia and then has just kind of like just gone smaller and smaller until this, um, you know, wildlife, we, we really liked his performance. Uh, he's, he thrives when he's weird and it's, it's what I find most fascinating about that is that he has everything you need to be a traditional movie star he's got acting chops he's incredibly handsome very charming in most of the films that he's in um but i think where he he thrives is just in these roles where he gets to be a huge weirdo because i think that's just who he who he is if you watch pretty much any like media he does you know it feels like there's always something weird that comes out of it so um I really appreciate Gyllenhaal, especially in this part of the career of his career. He's making some really smart choices, and um, I think he, it's also good that he kind of did a one-off thing where yep. he's not going to be an ongoing villain. Just kind of comes in, does his thing, gets back out. So, uh, shout out to Gyllenhaal. Anything else you want to talk about with Spider-Man before we wrap up? Nah, man. I'm very, very much looking forward to this 10-month break now before uh, Black Widow, <laughs> which is still not officially announced, but is being filmed as we speak. So uh, it'll be a nice little layoff, and I'm sure people will have some excitement, especially when it's end of next year comes around and we get something truly new in Internals. What's what's the next DC, the Joker? Yeah, joke, jo- Joker, end of the year, which is not actually in the DCU, but still cool. And then uh, beginning of next year, we have Birds of Prey. And then Wonder Woman, 1984. Enjoy the, the the superhero time off, people. You can't complain about superhero fatigue after a layoff yeah. like this. So, yep. Uh, what do we got for next week? 
So next week's a bit of a small week. I'm sure we'll add some stuff to this. But right now we have Stranger Things Season 3 on Netflix, of course. One of the remaining uh, monocultural shows in a certain sense. Uh, very popular, obviously. Uh, we will not be discussing Midsummer from Ari Aster, the A24 horror film. Um, but that's supposed to be great, so check that out. That's your thing. We might get to it eventually. Maybe. Uh, Dreamville is releasing Revenge of the Dreamers 3. That's J. Cole's label, J. Cole, Jid, uh, etc. Excited for that. They've reviewed a lot of their solo projects recently, so this this should be cool. Uh, I'll be sharing my thoughts on The Last Black Man in San Francisco, a movie I quite enjoyed, saw a few weeks ago. Um, probably throw some Emmy nomination predictions in there. Those are coming around. and Yeah. You know, yeah a few other musical projects that come up. We'll sprinkle in. So, always stuff to talk about. Stay tuned. Hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. Go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod to find us anywhere you want. And go to our Twitter page at nostalgiapod and follow us there and interact with us. Uh, We appreciate you. We love you. Happy Fourth of July. Peace out. (laughs) 